Welcome to Outsider Within, Critical Conversations in Education, a podcast dedicated to those whose voices are often silenced and whose unique knowledge and resources provide insight as well as practical solutions in the field of education. We will talk with leading experts who share their own experiences and expertise in navigating critical issues using their unique perspective. This week, we'll be speaking with Angel Jones. Dr. Angel Jones is an educator, activist, and critical race scholar who uses creative methods such as hip-hop and poetry to center the voices and experiences of the Black community. Her research explores the impact of racism on mental health with a focus on microaggressions and racial battle fatigue. Dr. Jones is also a public scholar who uses social media as an educational tool to increase access to academic scholarship. She is the author of Street Scholar, Using Public Scholarship to Educate, Advocate, and Liberate, which is an unapologetic call to action that challenges academia to thoughtfully and intentionally engage in public scholarship. Welcome, Dr. Jones. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? I am Angel Jones. My pronouns are she, her, and Aya. I am an educator through and through. It is my favorite thing on the planet. I always say teaching is what wakes me up. It makes my heart go pitter-patter. And I do educate in multiple ways, both in and outside of the classroom. Um, I also consider myself an activist. I'm very intentional about advocating um, for the needs and rights of the Black community, but also social justice in general. I'm also a critical race scholar. Um, I currently have the pleasure of serving as president of the Critical Race Studies and Education Association. Um, So I'm really excited to be here and to chat. Can you also tell our listeners about pushing back on research or pushing back on whiteness in general, especially when you were in your dissertation phase, you know, that transition from a scholar to to a doctor? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I came up with Street, Street Scholar, right, to really challenge the way we approach this work within the academy. Um, I think oftentimes folks say that they do research for the community, but then don't make that research accessible to the community. Um, and I don't support that level of, of, of hypocrisy. Um, so I've been really intentional about making sure that our work is accessible to folks. Um, and I currently use social media as as a way to do that. And I feel like this was birthed out of me becoming a more unapologetic scholar. I feel like when I first started my doc program, I was academically shucking and jiving for the academy. Um, as a fully funded doc student, I really felt like I had to just go, you know, go to school, put my head down, do my work and not piss off folks, not piss off racist white folks specifically. But it was literally killing me. Um, I was uh, struggling with symptoms of racial battle fatigue um, and actually ended up in the hospital. And that's what made me realize like, wow, like this is not healthy. Um, you need to do something different. Um, and that's what kind of pushed me to just live as my authentic self, to acknowledge and embrace the fact that my authentic self is not just good enough, but it's necessary. Um, my voice matters. My story matters. That definitely was the beginning of an important change for me as a scholar. So I definitely wanted you to be a guest because I wanted you to say that. I wanted you to give permission to other graduate students who are in the process to really search and and push back um, and center themselves in the process. 
our podcast, we try to invite in a range of guests so that multiple perspectives are being given, but multiple audiences are getting what they need and they are getting fed through our work. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. So in what ways do you see the current political and social climate impact in education today? I think it's impossible for it not to impact it, right? Um, I think folks really try to act like our students aren't impacted by what's going on outside of the four walls of the academy. I think folks act as if us as faculty and staff members aren't impacted. I think it's really showing us how far we haven't come. I feel like there's this false narrative, right, that we live in a post-racial society where racism is no longer an issue. We, you know, we had a Black president, we have a Black VP, like, poof, racism doesn't exist anymore. And I think that ever since the Great White Awakening of 2020, after the murder of George Floyd, I think folks are starting to open their eyes, or at least they're unable to continue to act like it's not happening. Um, So I feel like what's happening socially and politically is really showing people that we still have a very long way to go when it comes to addressing the racial injustices within this country. So I know you do consider yourself an activist. How does your activism manifest itself? I would say in several ways, I think, but especially on social media as a public scholar. I started my platform, um, it's been about two years, um, and I'm currently up to 60,000 followers on Instagram, um, and I have reels and posts that'll get up to a million, five million views, um, and everything I do is specifically focused on the Black community, is focused on social justice. So I'm very vocal about that. And I titled the book Street Scholar, right? So educating, advocating, and, and liberating. And for me, part of my activism is to educate folks on on, on what's going on, um, to ed- educate them on the fact that, you know, racism is still alive and well in this country. Um, and because it's alive and well, there are a lot of Black people who are not alive and well anymore. So I'm really intentional about using my public platform to advocate for the needs of our community. Um, I talk a lot about the, uh, the mental health of the Black community, right, and how racism is negatively impacting us. I talk about racial battle fatigue a lot on my page um, to just really call attention to the fact that our folks are struggling and we deserve better. Um, So I'm really intentional about using my platform to make sure that we're having those conversations. When you talk about the three pillars of academia, right? Teaching, research, scholarship. Mm -hmm. How does your work fit into those pillars in academia? I think it's just interesting, right? Because I think people think that, you know, teaching, research, and service has to look a certain way. And I just don't believe in that. So of course I do that, you know, within the academy in terms of what the traditional ways are, right? So I serve on on committees. Um, I have a volunteer at student events. I, I teach my classes. I have positive, you know, reviews in terms of that. I still publish in, in academic journals and, you know, go to conferences and do all of that stuff. But I'm also really intentional about using my social media to do the same thing, right? So if teaching is something that we're supposed to be doing, I am teaching on social media all the time. I've had plenty of people that will reach out. I'm like, hey, Dr. Jones, like I'm using your content in my classroom, uh, you know, as an educational tool. I have students that are using tweets in their PowerPoint, you know, presentations for stuff. 
I had a a white woman um, that told me that she was in the car with her 10 year old um, and they were watching one of my videos. I'm hoping she wasn't actually watching it while driving and she was just listening. Um, but I was talking about racism and she didn't realize that her son was paying attention and he started asking questions about it. And she said they had this beautiful conversation that she wouldn't have known how to even approach or start had they not been, you know, been, been watching it. So I, I think about that. Um, when I, th I think about research, right? Like there's tons of data on my page because of the way folks are in, engaging with things, right? And I would argue that my reach is even bigger than a traditional research study, right? If there's a million people that, that, that are in, engaging in that, right? Like what does it look like for us to actually interrogate that data for us to an analyze that data, right? So I'm absolutely doing research. And I love it because I'm doing research that other people can engage with in the in the moment. They don't have to wait for 16 months for a journal to finally approve your article, right, and and, and publish it. Um, and when I think about service, right, everything I do is in service to the Black community, you know, to others as well. So because I have such a large platform, I also make sure that I use it to uplift other messages as well, right? So for example, I do a lot of work with the Black trans community, and there are really dope Black trans activists that that I do lives with on purpose, um, you know, on, on my page. There was a Muslim student that wanted to wrestle, and they wouldn't let her wrestle with her hijab on, right? So I, I made sure that I use my platform, you know, to, to bring attention to that. And for me, that is me being in service to this work. So although the academy would think that I'm not doing teaching research in service, um, I am absolutely doing it. And I have receipts to let them know that I am doing it. Yes, you have receipts because that's almost considered participatory research, right? Because mm -hmm. it's live, it's in effect, it's right there and your audience is engaging and you're engaging and there's some type of reciprocal relationship going on there where, you know, knowledge and research is constantly evolving, con constantly happening. So, yes, um, thank you for doing that. Thank you for your service because um, it definitely should be accounted for. Can we just switch and talk about cultural taxation? What I call cultural taxation, sometimes it's called black tax, sometimes it's called invisible tax. How do you see or do you see um, you having to pay graciously? It's a tax that I feel like, especially black mother scholars, especially us, we like we carry, we carry that load. It is an additional load, and it's an additional load that we don't always get credit for because academia doesn't have a space for us to count that. So what does that look like, feel like to you? I think about it both in the academy and outside of the academy in terms of the work I do as a public scholar um, within the academy. And I struggle with that language, right? Like I know like, I call it the black tax because that's what we call it, but we don't want to pay taxes, right? So, but, so I, I don't want it to feel like the extra work I do is something that I don't enjoy, right? Because I do enjoy it, but we need to be acknowledged um, the fact that we are doing, you know, that extra work, um, you know, so as, as a, a, a black faculty member, there are black students who aren't my students that become my, you know, chosen students, right? Because they do come to me. I feel like I, every time I meet an undergrad, they're like, wait, you're a professor? 
Like there are black women professors and I'm like, there absolutely are. Like, let's come chill. Like, let's come to my office. So I feel like there's that, right? So I have to do all the typical research, teaching and service, and then also be there to, you know, to create space and, and community for black students. So I would argue that that absolutely counts as, as service, but in operating papers, like, does it count as service? No, right? Like, they're not checking for those informal relationships we're having. But outside of the academy, as a public scholar, it's hard doing this work. Um, as an unapologetic Black woman in the public who is calling out whiteness and white supremacy, I get a lot of hate mail. I get a lot of death threats. Actually, this past week has been the hardest for me with regards to that. Um, I had an article that I published in Times Higher Ed about the racial trauma that we as Black faculty experience, right? And what it's like for us to watch something like Tyree Nichols be murdered and then have to go back to, you know, to, to work the next day as if nothing happened, right? Or what it's like for us to create space for our students to process that when we aren't, we aren't given space, you know, to process it ourselves. And right-wing media lost their minds and showed they behinds. <laughs> um, so last Thursday, the Daily Mail posted about me on Sunday. Fox News posted um, an article about me, the New York Post. It ended up on Yahoo. Um, but like, it's been everywhere. And because of that, like hundreds and hundreds of messages have been coming in, both through my school email, through my personal email, via my, my website, on social media, um, which always happens to me anyway. But like, even via LinkedIn, like y'all are coming at me via LinkedIn. And typically it is, I think you should be lynched. Um, like that is racist white men's favorite thing, which to me is so ironic because they want to say that, oh, slavery was so long ago. Why are y'all still on it? But you immediately go to calling me an N-word and talk about wanting to lynch me. There was one guy said that he wanted to hang me from a tree and burn me alive. Like I get stuff like that on a regular basis. Um, so of course that's going to create trauma, which also makes this whole thing ironic, right? So they're mad at me for calling attention to the fact that we need support because of our racial trauma by by causing me more Creating racial more. trauma, right? So I'm just like, y'all are legit like proving my point, right? Like I don't even need to bring up literature or past receipts. Y'all are creating current receipts for me um, by, you know, doing all of these things. Um, so being a public scholar, being a street scholar is hard. Um, and there are definitely psychological consequences that I experience on a daily basis um, because of the work that I do. How do you manage your time? And just as a, a practical thing, I know that as faculty, we have the opportunity to organize the time that we spend in different ways than some other people do, right? But I'm curious from the perspective that perhaps there's another young scholar or older scholar who's interested in engaging more publicly. How do you organize your time because I can't imagine managing what sounds like a prolific social media space <laughs> takes little time. So how do you manage that and how do you make space for it within the academy? And secondly, what are some creative ways to get this work into your CV? <laughs> I'm still working on that second one. Um, I think for me, what I have learned is to kind of like make them all together, right? So for me, like me being a faculty member and me being a public scholar, me being a street scholar, like those are not separate 
parts of me, right? Like I have learned how to incorporate all of that. So for example, one of the classes I'm teaching this semester is called Public Scholarship and Social Justice. So I'm having my students read my book as, as well as other things. So I'm able to talk about that. Um, I incorporate my social media into in, into the classroom um, because I'm teaching my students how to do it. But I think it's also important to meet my students where they are. And students are already on social media, right? So, you know, they engage in my work on social media. But like, for example, I'm part of Hip Hop Ed. Um, and every Tuesday, we have a live Twitter chat about different things that are affecting our students in education. And this semester, I wasn't able, I can't participate every Tuesday because I teach during that time. So I figured out a way to combine them. So one of the weeks for the hip hop ed topic, it was based on what it is my students were doing in the classroom. So I put it on the on the projector and my students were participating in the chat and we had questions and answers about it. Um, so there are ways for us to be intentional. And I think it helps me to be more efficient with my time because like this is who I am. It's not just what I do. So because of that, it's going to permeate through every single thing that I am doing. So I'm grateful that I've been able to do that. But I mean, let's be real. Yes, it takes a lot of time on, on social media. So like when, when I wake up, like I'm on, I think I spend like an hour on, on my phone in the morning, like just trying to, you know, respond to comments if I can or respond to, to DMs, which is just impossible to do all of it, right? Because I'm getting hundreds and hundreds. Um, but like I try to be as engaged as possible. Folks always ask me about the content I share. So I'm considered a social media influencer, which feels really weird. But there are some content creators that will actually like plan out content, right? So maybe on a Sunday, they'll plan out their content for the week and stuff like that. I don't move that way because everything I post about is something that is happening in the moment, right? I'm, I'm responding to, you know, to the news or how I'm feeling and things like that. So that makes it a little bit easier for me because I don't have to spend time planning. Um, I'm literally just tweeting about whatever I'm feeling at the time or whatever is, is going on in our world that I am responding to. Um, so yes, it takes a lot of time and effort, um, but I'm learning to be more efficient with that. Um, now, in terms of your second question about creative ways, so I actually have a portion on my CV now that talks about public scholarship. Um, well, it'll, you know, say how many followers I have and, you know, what I've been able to, you know, do as a result of that. Um, so I'm often interviewed now by different platforms. So, for example, there's an article that came out in Forbes yesterday, right? I've been in USA Today. Um, I was on the Tavis Smiley radio show this week. So, like, I put that stuff out there because it's, it's important for us to acknowledge that, right, like academic scholarship and topics are being talked about publicly. So whether or not folks will see that section of the CV and be like, yes, I agree with her is not up to me, but I will absolutely put that stuff on my CV because it, it's important and I know the impact that that work is having. It's interesting you talk about the backlash that you receive because of some of the things that you've written or said, you know, they put it on Fox News and then you get the death threats and lynching threats and what have you. I think a lot of people do that because they feel like they are safely ensconced in anonymity, right? Mm -hmm. um, I hope that you will save a lot of those things and then publish them in an empirical study where you quote them directly because that is public knowledge and out them. I think it's just unconscionable that people feel free to say things like, oh, I want to hang you and burn your body. 
their quote with their moniker, what, however they describe themselves, should be on the front cover of your book. You know, people say there's no racism in America anymore, but here's a death threat from so-and-so. This is what he said. Who is this? Why does he get to say this without saying who he is? I said what I had to say publicly and in my full self. Where Mm -hmm. is this coward? I will sometimes post screenshots of the different messages. Um, so like this week specifically, I posted, I think it was nine different emails just because on, on Instagram, you can only post 10 frames in one thing. So I had the sc- screenshot of the, the article from um, Fox News and then the responses and Instagram took it down within like two hours. So like a lot of stuff that I post, I'll get sanctioned by Instagram and be told that I'm inciting violence. And I'm just like, no. I'm calling attention to the violence that's being incited by others. Um, But it's frustrating because those accounts that are coming from me get to stay up and nothing happens to them. But my account is constantly um, sanctioned. And there's a part of me, like as an unapologetic scholar, wants to be like, I'm going to keep posting this anyway. I don't care what Instagram says. But if they sanction me too many times, my account gets taken down completely. And that is counter to what I'm trying to do. So like, I've learned to kind of walk that line um, because folks need to be exposed and people need to know that this stuff is happening. And I will continue to counter this narrative that we live in a post-racial society. I definitely have enough for a whole book. Thinking about it, I wonder even if you could take this stuff from Instagram and post it on Facebook make it known there or put it on TikTok or whatever, you know, just mix up the platforms and say, oh, isn't this interesting from our post-racial society that I've received these specific comments? I sort of do that now, right? So all of my posts, I start as a a tweet and then I screenshot that tweet and that's what I put on Instagram. Um, And I had to start doing it that way because when I did the post originally, folks were stealing my content and saying it was their own. So I started doing it on Twitter first because it's my name and my picture. Um, And now folks will still crop that out sometimes and steal my work as their own. Um, But this like, they they have to take the extra step to prove how trash they are, right? But but by doing that, so that's kind of why I started doing it that way. But it's just interesting. So some of the conversations that happen on Twitter are different than the ones that happen on Instagram, just because the people that prefer each are different. I think it's important to be on multiple platforms, but all of them need this work. So yes, I I do put them on multiple platforms. A lot of those accounts coming from the right, they're dummy accounts. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to trace things because right, you have hate threats and, and, and that's considered, you know, under hate crimes if something happens to you. So the police should be taking this stuff seriously, right? But it's hard to track this stuff back because they are coming from dummy accounts or, you know, they're being very strategic. So they are using all this hate and this voice, but they are going through multiple layers. So it won't come back to them. But in their personal spaces, they are in places where black and brown people are sitting. I'm not going to call out different career fields or whatever, but, you know, these people are sitting somewhere on a daily basis in a nine to five. Absolutely. There are dummy accounts. So if they hit me up through my website, um, it's like the contact form, right? Where you put in your own name and your own email address, right? So I have no idea who these people really are. Um, but even, even when they send me like an actual email through my school email, right? They're creating fake ones. But there are some that are bold enough to like be themselves. One of them is a managing partner at some firm. Another one is a district attorney. 
the, one of the ones that wanted to lynch me last year, I tell you, my followers are more, I, I call them my supporters and not my followers because they actually like, have my back. And one of them like did their research and one of the people that wanted to lynch me, he is a corrections officer in Florida. So neither one of those things surprised me. But on the one hand, I was able to breathe. I'm like, okay, at least I know this person isn't here, isn't close to me. But then I think about like all the Black folks that are in that prison that he is probably torturing. And he's just pure evil because one, one of my supporters that reached out to him to advocate for me, he threatened to skin him alive. I'm like, you know how evil you have to be when that is what comes out of your mouth as an insult? Like not like not I'm, I'm going to fight you. I'm going to kill you, which is already horrible, but I'm going to skin you alive. Like there are really evil people out there that want to do serious harm to me. So like when folks like, oh, like, you know, that they're bots and stuff like that. Yes, there are some accounts that are bots. But let's acknowledge the fact that someone had to create those bots. Somebody who believes these things created the bots to torture people. But then there are also people that are saying, like, I want to skin you alive. Like, that's not a bot. That is a real person who is saying things to people. So, yeah, it's rough out here. But I, I, I can't stop. I won't stop. I sounded like Puffy. Can't stop. Won't stop. <laughs> Bad boy. But, like, I, I just can't. Like, I love us too much like I, I love the community I love the work that I do and me stopping is what they want we can't stop the work we have to keep going we have to keep evolving I know you don't consider yourself a lat crit however you are a afro-latina mm -hmm. so how does that show up in your work it shows up a lot. Um, I'm actually currently doing research on Afro-Latina women and Afro-Latina identity. I do a lot of talks on anti-Blackness within the Latina community and kind of how that shows up. I purposely don't use Latcrit as a framework in my work because of how ostracized Afro-Latinas often feel from the Latina community. And especially like if this is what the participants are saying, and I completely have that experience as well, I think it would be disrespectful to these women who are sharing their lives and stories with me to then analyze what they're saying through a framework that they would feel is oppressive anyway, which is why I don't. So I am a Latina that uses crit, um, but I don't use lack crit as a framework. Um, I use critical race theory and critical race feminism um, as my approaches to, to this work. So it, it's just been really beautiful um, just seeing how supported the Afro-Latina community feels um, by me and my work. Someone actually messaged me the other day and was like, you are one of the most important voices for us. And that isn't something I ever thought would happen. Um, so I'm, I'm just excited. Um, like, I will call out racism in any community, in any form. Like, anti-Blackness is everywhere. And you can be from any race and be anti-Black, right? Black people can't be racist. Let's just put that out there. But you can be anti-Black. You can be trash, Kanye West. You can absolutely be Black and be anti-Black. Yeah, so I will call it out any single time I see it. So we have one more question for you. What gives you hope? My sister. My sister is 16. Um, and just seeing how 
how much she already wants to advocate for the community. Um, just seeing the next generation of scholars and youth scholars, as I call them, there are really dope teenagers on social media that are picking up the baton already and are doing this work. So I don't believe that like things will change within my life, but I'm excited because I know that this work is already in good hands with people that I know are going to continue to do this work. Great. So for our audience, check out the website. Is it streetscholar.com or? No, so it's, it's part of my website. So it's Angel Jones PhD slash Street Scholar, but you can buy Street Scholar on, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, or through the publisher. Thank you for sharing your voice with us today. We definitely appreciate it. And we are yours in solidarity. Thank you all so much. Thank you for listening to the Outsider Within podcast. We, the producers, are university teacher educators, and we know how hard teachers, administrators, and others who support public education work towards access and equity. We welcome your thoughts, comments, and suggestions for future episodes. Find us at criticalissuesineducation.com and be sure to follow us on social media. Yours in solidarity.